How many of you know who Steve Jobs was? How many of you have been affected by Steve Jobs? How many of you have an iPad? An iPod? A smartphone? Okay, make sure it's on uh, silence or it's off right now, please. You know, a smartphone was really made for dumb people. I have one, and, and I love it because it's so easy. I guess that's why it's smart, because it is, uh, it's a simple phone. It's a great phone. Steve Jobs died on October the 5th. He was uh, only 56 years of age, was not an old guy. That seems real low to you guys, but it doesn't to people like me and above. And you have to say that he left, a, uh, he left a great legacy in many, many ways. I mean, certainly technology, creative-wise, he did. Uh, he was worth $8.3 billion. He left a great legacy to his uh, wife and his kids, for sure. And, and you know, that's, uh, that's an astonishing thing, things he accomplished while he was here on this earth. We've been looking at Nehemiah the last seven weeks, a man who lived 2,600 years ago, a man who never had an iPhone, iPad, uh, or a computer for that matter, but a guy who made a tremendous difference, left a great legacy in his world. And this morning, we're closing our study out of this wonderful book, and I want us to look at leaving a great legacy ourselves. Every one of us, we are leaving a footprint in the sand of time. We are leaving a legacy. That's not even up for debate. The question is, what kind of legacy, what kind of footprint will we leave? And I want to give you two things this morning from Nehemiah that if you and I will do, if we will get on mission and we will set our hearts to do these things and to be this kind of person, we will leave a legacy for our children, our grandchildren, our friends at our school, wherever we are, that is a wonderful positive footprint in the sand of time. How do we do it? Here's the first thing. Do the great things that God is calling you to do. I almost removed the great from that phrase because if you and I will just do the things that God is calling us to do, it's guaranteed that we will leave a great legacy. In Nehemiah chapter 6, we're going to be in 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 this morning, several chapters. But verse 15, it kind of sums up where we've been the last few weeks. It says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elu in 52 days. Now, Elu is, uh, the 25th of Elu would be the equivalent of about September the 20th for us. So to give you a, a little time frame there. A little background, if you remember, it's about 640, 645 years before Jesus Christ. Nehemiah is a Jewish man, and uh, the Jewish people had had a lot of problems in recent years, but they had been able to, to, to start going back to their home country of Judah and to repopulate Jerusalem, where they had been taken from in previous generations. And Nehemiah got word that Jerusalem, their, their, their Washington, D.C., their number one city, was in bad shape. And the city wall had been down for over 140 years. Now, if you've been here the last weeks, you've heard me talk every week about this. The city wall was extremely significant. Besides the temple, it's probably the most 
Second most significant thing, and really without the city wall, the temple is very vulnerable. The city wall in this day and age acted as your air force, your navy, as your radar system. It was your protection. And, and in Jerusalem, it was sparsely populated. People didn't want to come in and build homes or build businesses because if you did, the enemy could come in and in one day and destroy everything you had done. So the city was in bad shape. Nehemiah gets a vision from God. He gets God's plan, one of God's plans for his life, to go rebuild that wall. So it tells us in this chapter that that's what happened. He went back and he rebuilt the wall. Now, here's some significant things. He had to work with 42 different people groups. That sounds pretty hard if you've ever managed people. He had to face violent opposition. A lot of people did not want this to happen. It had sat down for 140 years, yet in less than two months, in 52 days, Nehemiah, with the power and the grace of God, got that wall rebuilt. That's phenomenal, isn't it? How big was this wall? I mean, was this like a, you know, a, a, a wall you built around your house, something like this? Josephus, who was a Jewish historian in Jesus' day, says the wall of Jerusalem, this would have been about 600 years after Nehemiah, which we believe was the same wall that Nehemiah rebuilt, enclosed 960 acres. Now, 960 acres, if you think of an acre as a football field, that's about 1,000 football fields enclosed by a wall that would have been high enough and thick enough to keep the bad guys out when they attack. That's a huge wall rebuilt in 52 days. What does that say to you and me? It says this, that if you and I will get on board with God, we will find out what he wants us to do, what his calling is on our life, what he's left us here to do, that with God, you and I can accomplish some unbelievable things. We are talking about Nehemiah 600, or, or 2,600 years later, you know why? Not because he was handsome. We don't know what he looked like. Not because he had a lot of money. Not because he had a great mommy and a great daddy. Not because he lettered in four sports in Persia, which he may have. But because he found out what God wanted him to do, and he went about it with all of his heart. I want to tell you this morning, you want to leave a great legacy. You find out the things, and I think it's plural, God wants you to do, and you set your heart about doing them. It will amaze you and everybody that comes in contact with you what God can do through you. Some of you say this morning, I'm too old. I've passed my prime. I've passed the chance to go back and get that degree or to get that new job or to switch careers or to go back into something where maybe things didn't go the way I wanted them to originally. Other people say I'm too young or I'm too dumb or a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Let me tell you a neat story of a lady named Nola Oches. Nola, in the year 2007, graduated from Fort Hayes State University from college, bachelor's degree. Now, that's wonderful, but the truth is there was thousands and thousands of other people in 2007 who graduated from college, too. The neat thing about Nola is, is that she was 95 years old, and she did walk across the line to get her bachelor's degree. As far as we know, she is the oldest person in the history of the United States to ever get a college degree. 
they asked her, how'd you do it? She said, well, my husband died when I was in my early 70s, and I decided I wanted to get a college degree. I always had, so I got started. It took, took her almost 25 years, but she got her college degree. They said, Nola, you're 95 with a bachelor's degree. What are you going to do now? She said, I may go work on a cruise ship. <laughs> Folks, if you set your mind to what God wants you to do, you can do some wonderful things. You can leave a great legacy. A lady named Kristen Strand made a statement that you need to hear. She said, people who don't live out their callings, people who don't find what God wants them to do and don't do it, no matter how much money they make, no matter how much they accumulate, no matter how much fame and prestige they have, if they're not living out what God's called them to do, there's always going to be a deep sense of frustration, depression, anxiety, and a real dissatisfaction with what's going on in their heart. Young people, man, you need to hear that. Now, here's something Kristen said that I thought was very good. She said, people who live out their callings often experience depression, anxiety, and a deep sense of frustration. The difference is they can lay down at night and know deep in their heart a peace and a security that they're absolutely doing what God has called them to do. God's called you to do something great, to leave a legacy. I, I love someone who said it's kind of like we're the Jewish people in the days of Moses. We're all kind of living in Egypt, and we can see a promised land out there. The only problem is, is the promised land, to get to it, you almost always have to go through the wilderness. It's not always easy, but it's possible with God. You want to leave a great legacy? Find what God's calling you to do and get up and do it with your life. Here's the second thing Nehemiah showed us. People who leave great legacies, mom and dads who leave great legacies, young people, Older people, they always have this in common too. They are great disciples who make great disciples. They, they are great disciples of Christ who help other people be great disciples of Christ. You see, Nehemiah was a great leader. He was a great achiever. He was a doer. Nehemiah didn't sit around and debate and argue very long. He got up and he got going. But the fundamental thing about Nehemiah was he was a man who had a great relationship with God and that he not only tried to build the physical walls, he was always trying to build other people up in Jesus Christ. The last words that Jesus said here on this earth are recorded in Matthew 28. They're recorded in Mark 16 too, in Luke 24. Matthew 28 is probably the most famous where Jesus says, Go and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them everything I have told you. You teach them that. Now, what, does that, what did that mean? Well, a disciple, we get confused on a disciple. A disciple, first of all, is a convert. A disciple in the Christian sense is someone who has been converted to Jesus Christ. For you to become a disciple, you first become a follower of Christ. That's where the baptism comes in. You make a disciple of another person, which you are called to do, Christian, you first help them become a convert. 
Then they are baptized. Then as a disciple, we are a learner and a pupil. And as a learner and a pupil, we are going out and trying to help other people become converts, help them become learners and pupils, so they can repeat the process of helping other people become converts and learners and pupils. Am I confusing you enough right now? But it is. It is a wonderful circle, not a vicious cycle, a wonderful circle. We find Christ. We learn about Him. We grow in Him. We help other people find Him. We help them learn. We help them grow. And that's what Jesus Christ's last words, He said, I want you to do. You want to leave a great legacy? This is how you do it. Find God's calling. And in that calling, you spend your life growing in Christ yourself and helping other people connect in this. This is what Nehemiah did. I want to show you some things we see in the end of this book. After the wall goes up, we see Nehemiah and Ezra the priest. They begin to invest their time in the spiritual building up of themselves and the people. And it involves several things. Dad, how do you become a great disciple? How do you make your wife and your family or help them be great disciples? How do, the, how, how do you wives become a great disciple? How do you young people? He shows us here. The first he talks about is the Word of God. He talks about the Word of God. Listen, it is impossible to be rightly related to God as a Christian if you don't know the Bible, if you're not taking it in, and you're not living it out. We live in a world today, especially in the South, where we take it in a lot. We just don't live it out very well. And that is called getting an F on the report card in heaven someday. Look what happened here after the wall was built. In chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled. Assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told, Israel, uh, they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. This would have been... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand, and he read it aloud from daybreak till noon. Did you get that? How many of you think it's painful in here right now? Don't raise your hand, please. You'll hurt my feelings. Ezra starts reading, it was either from 9 till noon, depending on how they were counting the day, or from about 6.30 or 7 when they could see till noon. Either way, that's a long Bible study, amen? You don't believe me? Show up this afternoon at 4, and Clayton will read the Bible to you from 4 till 7, okay? That's, that's a long time. But they were into it. He read from daybreak till noon in the presence of the men, women, and others who could not understand, and all the people listened attentively to the Word of God. And you go to verse 13 and 14. It says, On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. Now listen to this. This is subtle, but it's very significant. Verse 14, They found written in the law like they just made a discovery. You know, it had been in there for a long, long time. They just discovered it, which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Ironically, in my personal Bible study this week, I read about this in the book of Leviticus. They were, once a year when they were having these special feasts, 
They were to basically, a booth, live in a tent as a remembrance of God bringing them out of Egypt miraculously. They didn't know anything about it. You know why they didn't know anything about it? They weren't in the Word of God. And you want to know something that's neat, though? Once they heard what God wanted them to do, the verses that follow this says they got up and they went out and they did exactly what God had laid on their hearts and told them they would do. Listen, God reveals himself through your Bible. God reveals so much of his will in his word. So many of us are saying, what do I do about this? What do I do about my husband? What do I do about my wife? What do I do about my kids? What do I do about my parents? I always wanted my parents to listen sometimes when the preacher would say, you know, be nice to your kids, but it never seemed to make it to that part of the sanctuary. Man, the Bible tells us so much that we debate about, that we argue, should we do this, should we do that? If we read our Bibles, study our Bibles, know our Bibles, it would solve so many of our problems. Are you getting into the Word? Are are you letting the Word of God get in you? Do you read it? Do you study it? Do you hear it as much as you can? And then here's the tough one. Do you live it out? Again, we are pretty good in the religious South about getting the Word. We have Bible studies. We have all kinds of things like this. We're just not real good about translating it to shoe leather. James chapter 1, it says, Be doers of the Word. Nehemiah got the wall up, and then God started working in the people's lives. You want to leave a great legacy, Dad, Mom, young people? Know the Word of God and live the Word of God out in your world and in your life. That's how you begin to make a great impact on those around you. Here's what followed this, and that's worship. They were taken in the Word of God, and then they began to worship God. In chapter 8, verse 6, it says, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen and Amen. Then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord on their faces. Guys, the word worship here literally means to prostrate yourself. It, It means to crouch or to bow down. It's a word used for how an inferior acts to someone who is greatly superior to them. Okay? Now, when we talk about worship, a lot of times we'll say, well, worship is, it, it's, it's music. Or we've, we've argued worship's a piano. No, worship's a guitar. Worship's hymns. No, worship's choruses. Worship can be found in music for sure, but worship more than anything else is surrendering yourself to God. You know when the most worshipful time of the service is? It's the invitation or it's the least worshipful. Again, we've got caught up with defining worship in the wrong ways. Several years ago, we were at a conference in England. Church had sent Steve and Cindy and I and Lori Leach over there. And the, the, the finale night, the big night, Rick Warren 
preacher at Saddleback, Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church, Purpose Driven Wife, all, you know, all his books. He, uh, he was the guest speaker. He was the, the main speaker. They had all kinds of great musicians. And, and we were sitting like, Chad Geis, you're the pulpit. You're the preacher. That's scary. But we're sitting up here in this big auditorium. We're looking this way. And sitting a few rows in front of me, this guy's probably 18 or 20. And when, when the music is going, I mean, he is, man, he is really, he is clapping his hands up. He is dancing. And that is cool with me. But you don't want me dancing. I, it has nothing to do with being Baptist. You just don't want me dancing, period. And, and, and however you worship, we're going to talk about worship next Sunday morning. Whatever is cool with you and sincere and real is great. And this guy was getting jiggy with it. I mean, he was, he was, he was really, really, really having a great time. Rick Warren gets up to preach. Preached a phenomenal, phenomenal sermon. And I watched this guy who was so theatrical during the music talk, twiddle his thumbs, completely bored to tears. Guys, he wasn't worshiping God. Now, when we sing, we could, uh, be honest with you, we could use a little more enthusiasm. But if you're raising your hands and you're dancing, do not snore when I preach. You don't have the spirit of worship, okay? I don't know what they were doing. They said they were raising their hands. I'm sure they were singing. But the bottom line, guys, when they were worshiping God, they were sticking their nose on the ground. You want to leave a great legacy? Let your kids, let your wife. Let them catch you praying. (laughs) Let them see you come down sincerely, not not preacher motivated. Let them see you come down and bow before God. Let them see you broken and worshiping God. You're not only doing the right things, you'll leave a legacy that will last forever. And the next thing that happened was confession and repentance. Tough stuff. But it always, these always go together. They, they always flow kind of hand and glove together. In chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places, confessed their sins and the wickedness of their father. They stood where they were and they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of a day, spent another quarter in confession and worshiping the Lord. Why'd they wear sackcloth? Sackcloth it, it would be rough. It would rub against you. It would remind you of your sinfulness. Don't you wish people still wore sackcloth? Can you imagine somebody comes in and they've got sackcloth? You're going, wonder what's going on in their life. (laughs) They would put dust on their heads as an outward way to humble themselves. And it said they confessed their sins. That biblical word confess is the same in the Old and the New Testament. And what it means is it means to say the same thing about something. 
And see, when you confess your sins, guys, here's what you're doing. You're not saying, well, it really wasn't my fault, God. Our God, if you, if you knew how my kids were, you would know what I said was acceptable. Or if you knew how my parents were, God, or if you knew how my boss was, you'd know it'd be okay for me to take a little extra cash when they weren't looking because they're not paying me right. No, confession is saying, God, you call this sin, and I'm saying it's sin, and I own it, and it's mine. Listen, what needs to happen where great legacies begin, where lives, churches, families are changed, are when people get real with God about the junk in their lives. Andrea, raise your hand. I'm not going to talk about junk in your life, Andrea. (laughs) How many of you get the devotional e-thoughts? Do do any of y'all get that? It's a free devotional. It's a computer. It comes out uh, five days a week. Many people in our church ride for it. And if you'd like it, just call the office. We'll tell you how to, to get it, or you can get it on the website. Andrea wrote this week. It, it was a great article. Andrea, don't sue me if I get your, your, your thoughts wrong. But Andrea said something, what I took from it was, is that it's so important that we as Christians spend our lives confessing and repenting and getting right with God. Is that close, Andrea? You see, confessing and repenting is not something, well, I did it, I did it on Sunday, uh, June the 15th, 1999, and it's done. You know why? Because we continue to blow it and mess up. And, and godly people are people that are constantly looking within and dealing with the junk in their life. Folks, in the New Testament, there are 27 books from Matthew to Revelation, 27 times, 20, or 50 times, I'm sorry, 50 times in those 27 books, the word repentance is found. You know why? Because repentance is an extremely important concept to God. What would happen today? What would happen before this hour was over if people in this room began to get right with God, to confess their sins, to repent of it, to go to other people that you've hurt and confess that, and repent? What would happen in our homes if that happened this afternoon? What would happen if that if we begin to do that in our workplace, in our lives? You know what would happen? Revival. Life change. Legacies would be, would be built that would last forever. You see, guys, when these folks begin to experience revival when they began to develop a legacy that was going to last forever, they not only built the physical wall, but, man, they began to get into the Word of God. They began to worship. They began to confess and repent and get right. And and the last thing that just flows from this, and, and that was they lived a different life. Man, they were just different. Dr. Herschel Hobbes was a a preacher and a writer in the 20th century. He was a very good speaker and and theologian. Dr. Hobbes made a great statement. Dr. Hobbes said, anytime real worship or real Bible study happens, anytime real worship or real Bible study happens, people's behavior is different. Did you get that? You see, it's so much more than just a gooey feeling. If you come to church and you cry, that is great as long as someone didn't shut your toe in the bathroom door. 
But the object is that you, you and I come to church and we leave differently. Does that make sense? Tears are fine. Life change is what we're in this for. Here's the neat things that happen. As they begin to worship and repent, they were affected in some big ways. One, it affected their family life. In chapter 10, verse 30, we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us or take their daughters for our sons. Now, what did they mean by this? Dad, did they mean that you have the right to tell that guy not to come to your house anymore? Maybe. (laughs) But what they meant was is that we have been careless as moms and dads. We have not been leading our families to follow you as they should. And part of the getting right with God and beginning to leave that great legacy is they begin to say, my family is going to be a family that follows God. Does God work his way in your home? Here's the second thing. It it affected their work. In verse 31, it says, When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise of grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them. On the Sabbath day or any holy day, every seventh year, we will forgo the land and we will cancel all the debts. Guys, when when they were not being who they should be, They were neglecting worship. They were not honoring the Sabbath. And a strange thing happened. As they began to get right with God, they began to develop a legacy. They began to see life as God wanted them to see. They said, you know what? We're going to give God that one day a week for worship. We're going to lay aside our work. We're going to lay aside those things that are very important but are temporary to focus on the things of God. You see... If God's not affecting every bit of our lives, something's wrong with how God's working in our lives. And the last thing that happened, we see, is that God affected their bill foes. In verse 30, in verse 35, we've locked the doors too, so you can't get out here. We assume responsibility for bringing the tithe to the house of the Lord each year. The first fruits of our crops and every tree. Kyle, let's jump to verse 39. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and oil to the storeroom where the articles for the sanctuary are kept and where the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers stay. We will not neglect the house of God. Listen, while they were not being who they should be, They were not giving as they should. The Levites and the priests were not able to fulfill their ministerial duties. And the temple, the sanctuary, our version of the church, was suffering. But as they got right with God, it reached all the way from their heads and their hearts to their bill foes. And they said, you know what? We have been neglectful and tithing to God. We're not going to do that anymore. We're going to give to God that 10% that belongs to God. And I want to tell you, as God gets in your heart, He works His way through your billfold. And yes, the tithe does belong to the church. I'll Call me tomorrow. We can argue about that all you want to. But I, I, I'm right on that. The tithe belongs to the church. Sam Houston. You know who Sam Houston? It's a state university in Huntsville, Texas. But he was also a guy... 
leader uh, in Texas history. Sam Houston became a Christian as an older man. And when they got ready to baptize him in a creek, the preacher noticed he had his billfold in his pocket. And he said, Mr. Houston, you need to take your billfold out before you get baptized. And Sam Houston's words were priceless. He said, nope, if God's getting me, he's getting my billfold too. And they baptized him with his billfold. So from now on, we're putting your checkbook and all's going down there with you. That's a little bit drastic, but what I would tell you is that when God gets a hold of you, He gets a hold of all of you. Parents, how do you leave a great legacy? You start with your kid when they're five years old. You give them $2, you tell them 20 cents goes to the church. It's a tithe. I was 1920 as a lost person going to church, and, and, and I would tithe because I was supposed to do that. You know what statistics tell us in America, wealthiest country in the world, that about 4% of Christians tithe to their churches. Wow. Think of what would happen if God got our billfolds along with our hearts. Different life. You're going to leave a great legacy? You're going to talk about it? Think about it? I want to read to you a story that I saw this week about a philosopher, a scientist, and a simpleton. They were in a cove in the Pacific Ocean, walking around, and the tide began to come in very quickly, and they couldn't get out, and it had these sheer cliff faces on the the cliffs, so they couldn't get up. And so some rescuers came, and they dropped ropes down to them to try to rescue him. The philosopher was the first to see the rope. And he said, this looks like a rope, but I might be mistaken. It could be just wishful thinking or an illusion. So the smart philosopher didn't grab the rope and he drowned. The scientist said, oh, this is an 11 millimeter polyester rope with a breaking strain of 2,800 kilograms. It conforms to the MR-1081 standard. And he he began to proceed to give an exhaustive and entirely correct analysis of the rope's physical and chemical properties. But he didn't grab the rope and he drowned. And the simpleton said, I'm not sure if this is a rope or a python's tail, but I'm going to grab a hold of it because it's the only thing I have. And he was saved. You know, there's probably a lot of sermon thoughts in that, but I think the thought today is this. We can philosophize about life. We can analyze it. We should do some of those things. We can critique it. We can argue about it. We can debate it. The bottom line always comes down to this, is what are we going to do? No doubt in my mind, before Nehemiah, there had been other people that the wall had been on their mind. They may have prayed for years. They may have talked to people. They may have analyzed, even taken chemical samples of the wall to study but they never did anything with it. You see, to leave a great legacy, there comes a point when you got to decide, I'm going to do the things God's left me here to do, and I'm going to be the person that God's left me here to be. 
And I want to challenge you today to make the choice to act, to do, and to be what God wants you to be. Will you pray with me? This morning, if you're a Christian, I would just ask you to take a moment and examine your heart. What's God saying to you? What needs to happen in the next few minutes? If you're not a Christian or you're unsure of your relationship with God, would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you're the Son of God who died for me. And I ask you now to come into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. Let me have your attention just for a moment. In just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand and bow your heads. But certainly, the most important thing I'm going to ask you to do is respond. Maybe today you would, you would like to join our church family. We would love for you to do that if God's leading you to do that. One way you can do that is by coming in a moment, talking to a minister, letting us help you with that decision. Maybe you're here today and you, you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart or you would like to do that. We'll have ministers down here. We would love to help you with that decision. You come and give your life to Christ today. Christian, maybe God has spoken to your heart about some things that you need to repent of, some things you need to begin to do, some things you need to begin to be so you can leave the legacy God's calling you to leave. Let's stand. Just bow your heads. And as God leads you, you respond to it.